Well, it is week three, and so I trust you uh, have your Bibles there and your journals. It's the Word that does the work. Amen, church? And we're going to take a lot of time this morning to look at the Word precisely and specifically. In fact, it's been said about preachers that preaching is simply disguised repetition. For instance, we tell you what we're going to tell you, then we tell you, and then we tell you what we told you. It doesn't sound real disguised, by the way, but it is a lot of repetition. Uh, but I believe that repetition is a means of emphasis, and I personally believe it's the key avenue to learning. If you don't believe me, just remember the multiplication tables and the prepositions. How many times did you just have to memorize things, right? But you got it. So repetition is a good thing, and what we're going to find in 1 Timothy 4 is that there is a good bit of repetition, and it's repetition all around the truth of God. You could use the phrase God's truth, you could use the Word of God, a number of synonyms there, but really in 1 Timothy chapter 4, we begin to see that um, uh, God's truth matters greatly. In fact, there are at least 11 references, what we could call repetitions, that refer to God's truth in 1 Timothy 4, just 16 verses. There's just three paragraphs, and yet there are at least 11 pointers to God's truth. In fact, let me rehearse them for you, just briefly. We find the word teaching, or the phrase good teaching, at least five times. By the way, it's also mentioned in the beginning of the book in chapter 1, and it's in chapter 6, which is the end of the book. So I think if you were to say, what's the real thread that runs through all of 1 Timothy? You're going to find it's the teaching, the truth of God, which is the core of the church. You'll find the phrase, these things, mentioned twice. You'll find the word truth mentioned once, the words, words of faith mentioned once. The idea of public reading and exhortation, those are both mentioned so at least 11 things, words, pointers to the truth of God. And so clearly God's truth is the core element around which the entire chapter revolves. It's the son of 1 Timothy 4's universe. It's the nucleus of the atom of 1 Timothy 4. Regardless of your metaphor, such is the relationship of the church to God's truth in this chapter. It is central to who we are and what we do. Unquestionably, God's truth matters to His church. And you may be asking right now, why? And it's because God's truth, and here's what we're going to see emerge from 1 Timothy 4, God's truth frees, focuses, and fuels the church. Will you say that with me? God's, church, God's truth frees, focuses, and fuels the church. Now, you could say it like this, by the way, and I'll explain this in a few moments. You could say that God's truth keeps, focuses, and grows the church. But every preacher loves alliteration, right? Now, I'm not the only one, by the way. I put these two statements to our staff this week. I put both of them out there, had 14 of them vote. Which one do you like better? And the staff voted 12 to 2 in favor of the alliterated one. So it's not just preachers that like it to sound memorable. Are you with me? So we're going to see this emerge from three paragraphs in 1 Timothy 4. Your Bibles are there, right? 
Let's go to our lab. Let's understand these verses and this, these paragraphs today. Here's 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Follow along with me. Now, the Spirit explicitly says, interesting phrase there, isn't it? Paul's making no bones about it, that at some point, God said something about these later times. Some versions say latter times, the end times. We are in them now. They began at Pentecost, and so they were in them. We're in them. And I think the phrase Spirit explicitly says is referring to Christ's words, Matthew 24, Mark 13. It could refer to other of the apostles who were inspired by the Spirit and wrote about the end times. Of course, Christ was empowered by the Spirit in His ministry and His teaching. So this is Paul's way of saying, it's been clearly said and stated that in these end times, some will depart, key word here, depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Notice they're paying attention to these two things, deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. It's a pretty stunning um, statement. Wouldn't you agree? They're not just distracted by the media outlet. They're not just diverted by an odd conversation. Paul here says some have left and abandoned the faith because of demonic teaching and deceitful spirits. I mean, he just hits a bullseye, doesn't he? Laser-like focus on what the real problem is. These Teachings and these spirits work through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. I think we will be safe to say the Word of God says this. There's an under um, belly, there's an unseen uh, area that's affecting and driving the seen area. Are you with me? Like spirits and demons are driving and empowering Visible people who are hypocrites and they're liars and their consciences are seared. They, they have no sense of, of remorse or regret of wrong or right. And so what you see are false teachers, but what's really driving them is, are the demonic spirits. There's a seen realm and there's an unseen realm. Now here's what these folks teach, they forbid marriage, demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. Notice this is the first time Paul uses the word truth. He uses teachings back up here in the sense of teachings of demons. The point is there's a battle going on between what's right, God's truth, and what's wrong, the devil's uh, falsehoods. Are you with me? You, see, you can already see the comparison, the the kind of lines being drawn. There's teachings of demons, and then there's God's truth. Interestingly, and I'll just kind of throw this out, let this bomb explode among you. Uh, do you know any religions, any systems of belief that forbid marriage? Sure you do. Do you know certain religions, systems that say certain foods should never be eaten, and that if you do, you're violating God? Of course you do. The Bible here says those are from deceitful spirits and demons. You can take that and make what you want to of it, but it's pretty clear in the Scriptures. Here's what he says, though, in verse 4. Here's why we um, should know that God created things to be received with gratefulness, and we should know the truth, because everything created by God is good. This is Genesis 3. 
Nothing to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving since it's sanctified, or the word there is set apart by the word of God and by prayer. And so here he's just contrasting the teachings of God, the truth of God, and then the teachings of demons. And he says in this paragraph, some have abandoned God's truth and have gone after the teachings of demons. So this paragraph, in one sense, just kind of make a note of this, would you? That it's more from the negative angle. And I draw your attention to this word, depart. We saw it earlier, right? Depart. He's making somewhat of a negative statement. Not about God's truth, but he's making a negative statement that some have left it. They've abandoned it. And here's why. It's because they've paid attention to the wrong thing. So church, hear this. If you want to stay protected from falsehood, stay devoted to the truth. Know God's truth. Pay attention to it. And be aware that this is breathtakingly jarring, that in this church, there were those who were lured away from the truth of God because they gave too much attention. They they were uh, drawn to false teaching. You'll find uh, these words paying attention to be kind of a thread as well. So as you look at this first paragraph, it's kind of aimed at more the negative aspect. People have abandoned God's truth. They've they've left it. Just make, make this note. Understand this observation. It's the first thing I want you to see about this first paragraph. Again, these, each of these observations will feed into the overall truth. But just notice what we know here, that God's truth protects us from seductive and destructive distortions that are demonic. God's truth does that. So when you are thinking about how do I best protect myself? How do I best protect our family? How do I best guard my spiritual life? It's by paying attention to God's truth. That's the key. We need to look carefully and closely at it. The way to avoid being led astray by distortion is to be devoted to the truth. Now, you may be wondering in your mind, Todd, how does this idea of protection, how does this connect to the word you used in the overall truth, that God's truth frees us? Like, I'm, I'm not catching it. You said God's truth frees us, but here you're talking about how God's truth protects us. Well, it's a good question and a good observation. I want you to think about it like this. I think it's very helpful to see God's truth as a fence. In fact, in your journals, you may want to write the word fence between, uh, over this set of verses, verses 1 through what is about 5. Yes, God's word acts like a fence. It establishes boundaries that give us both the freedom to live in and the protection to live in. Now, let me illustrate this pointedly and fittingly, knowing today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, by sharing with you how God's truth is the freeing and protecting uh, armor in this issue. See, in my opinion, there's not an issue where the fence of God's truth has been more torn down than in the area of the sanctity of life. I've said this before, and I'll stand my ground here, not that you're trying to push me off of it, but I think it's so vital for every church to take a strong stance on this. This is the fountainhead of all issues. Are there other important matters? There are. 
we should help and address. But if we don't stand for this fundamental beginning issue, the other issues don't matter. This is the fountainhead of every issue. And for the unborn, the freedom to live and the protection to live have been and are under attack. I'm thankful for the victories that have been won, the progress that has been made, but it has only heightened the battle that's going on in our culture. What you're watching in our culture is really the result of the fence of God's truth being torn down, the fence that provides protection and freedom. You see, church, hear this plainly. Just as this passage points out, the pro-death culture is driven by demonic forces and deceitful spirits. It's espoused through cultural hypocrites who act like they're pro-life through words like pro-choice, but there's really no choice involved at all. They're promoting the killing of unborn children at any stage of pregnancy now. It's horrific what's actually coming out of the mouths of some people. They operate behind smoke screens and language facades. They push for what they say is freedom and rights. It's the freedom to choose, the right to autonomy, but it's not freedom at all. A society that devalues and destroys life from the very start is a civilization in bondage to its own depraved desires. It's a culture chained to the idea that killing is off, its offspring is right. That's distorted. That's demonic. That's deceitful. You see, God's truth is that every life is created in His image from the moment of conception. That God knit our parts together in the womb. That He knew us before we were born. That we're made in His image. The freeing truth from God is that from fertilization forward, life is valuable and should be protected and defended. And so acknowledging this fence of truth allows us to actually live freely with protection, not chaotically, anarchically. Is that even a word? You see, I think about the fence in our backyard. We have this wooden fence. When our kids were small, they could go in the backyard and play, and there were two things we knew, generally speaking. They were free to play in that yard in a protected fashion. It protected them from what was on the outside, and it showed them all the room they could play on the inside. Are you with me? And this is how freedom and protection go together with God's truth. It lays out for us, here's all the area you've got to play in. And as long as you do, you can be sure you'll have great protection. By the way, this is exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. God, read Genesis. God gave them a beautiful garden and said, have at it. Just one thing you can't do, right? They had tons of freedom and guaranteed protection. And yet Satan came in and distorted what God actually said. They fell for it. And what resulted was the opposite of freedom, bondage and death, and passed to every person born thereafter. Remember, church, this principle that God's truth protects us and in turn frees us, it applies to every issue to which God's Word speaks. 
So whether you're thinking today specifically about the issue of life or whether next week or next month things into your family and your life, you're deciding on various issues, you're having to make decisions. Remember, when God's word speaks, it is to free you to obey and is to protect you while you obey. Satan will try to distort that. Your key task is to be devoted to God's truth and to avoid the deceitfulness of demons as they try to detour you and distract you and ultimately destroy you. By the way, Jesus said precisely this. He connected these two in John 8 when he said, you will know the truth and the truth will say with me, church, set you free. And when you're free, you're protected. So let's just hear this loud and clear. God's truth both frees and protects. So pay attention to it as you seek to obey the Lord freely and protectively. Well, there's a lot we can say about that still, but let's move on to the second paragraph, shall we? Verses 6 through 10. Again, the theme is the Word of God, the Lord's truth. And Paul says to Timothy, now, if you point these things out, these things would be a reference to probably what he has said, what he is saying, the whole book, but also just immediately hear these, these comments. And he says, you should point these things out to the brothers and sisters. You will then be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of faith. So as he's pointing out God's truth, watch this. It has a nourishing effect upon him, the words of faith here, very similar to these things, much like the truth of God. Not the teachings of demons, but the truth of the Lord. He says they have a, a self-nourishing effect upon you, Timothy. You become a good servant. You're nourished by the words of faith. Look at the next phrase. And the good teaching that you have followed. So as you obey God's truth, as you hold to it, as you teach it, and as you follow it, it, it nourishes you, Timothy. So we see something about God's truth. It begins to feed us. Opposed to, watch this. Pointless and silly myths, which is why he said, Timothy, don't have anything to do with those things. This is a very interesting phrase, pointless and silly myths. Uh, sometimes they're called vain babblings or profane babblings. There is some connection here to the phrase old wives' tales. In other words, there's no evidence or uh, historical proof that these are true. Which is why in chapter 1, Paul said to Timothy, these kinds of things lead to empty speculations. I can't think of a more apt description of current conspiracy theories than right here. There's no evidence. You can't find any historical concrete facts to back anything up. And yet we keep saying this and that could be, could be. And it's just, they're pointless and silly myths that we're just speculating about. Paul said, Timothy, avoid those. They don't nourish, they drain you. They don't feed you. He says, so be done with those things. Rather, train yourself in godliness. And so what's the connection here? As you feed upon God's truth, it gives you energy for action. Do you see the word train? It's the word uh, gymnasium. It's where we get the word gym. Gymnastics. And he says... Feed on God's word. It will be the nourishment you need to live godly. For the training of the body has limited benefit. So it, it can help. But
but it can't save your soul. It really has no effect upon the afterlife. It only affects the here and now. That's a pretty limited, shallow view. So he says, listen, bodily training, uh, uh, physical focus, it has an effect. But listen, godliness is beneficial. How many ways, church? Every way. And here's why. It holds promise for the present life. I love this comparison. And for the one to come. If you only go to the gym and you work out physically, you may have a good 80 years here. But if you train yourself in godliness, you'll have a great 80 years here and a great eternity. That's kind of what Paul's saying. It's, it's beneficial now and later. It holds promise for this life, for the one to come. And he says, this saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. And this reason, I believe this reason points back to the word promise, by the way. That godliness holds value to this life and the next. And so because of that promise, because of that reason, we labor and strive. I love the words here that reflect energy and activity and focus and priority, don't you? We train, we labor, we strive. And why? Because we've put our hope in the living God who's the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. The word here could be specifically or namely. And all this is saying is that Christ is sufficient to save all, and He's effective at saving those who believe. That's all He's saying here. And so the gospel, which is right in here, we've put our hope in the, um, in the living gods. There's the gospel. It's what motivates us. It's God's truth. And so that's what nourishes us to be involved, energetic, active in serving the Lord, in laboring and striving for things that matter eternally. So let's just make one observation from this paragraph about God's truth. Here's what we know from this simple paragraph about God's truth, that it prioritizes our activities and energizes um, excuse me, prioritize our activities and energies for maximum spiritual health. This is what God's truth does. It nourishes us. Now, if the first paragraph was about God's truth as a fence, this is about God's truth as a filter. And if you want to begin to filter out your activities and energies, put them through the filter of God's Word. How eternal is this activity? It doesn't mean you should never do it. It doesn't mean it's sin, but should it get 27 hours of your week? Maybe not. Are you with me? But your hobbies, your, your investments, your expenditures, put them in the filter of God's word about what's eternal. Is this leading you towards godliness? You'll find that God's truth will serve you well. It'll be a framework, a filter for how you should live your life. Let's go to paragraph three, can we? Notice here the last few verses of this chapter. Again, focused on God's truth. He says here that, Timothy, I want you to command and teach these things. Notice that this is a little escalated from point out. Would you agree with me there? If you say, hey, point these things out, but just a few verses later, hey, Timothy, command and teach. He's kind of commanding pretty hard. He's a mentor, he's a discipler, and he said, Timothy, these, these are non-negotiable matters. This is your duty to that church to point these things out, to command, to teach them. 
And as he says that, you can, you can see Paul getting very personal. So if the paragraph that began the chapter was more from the negative angle about folks will abandon, and the second one's more positive, here's what it will do in you, it will focus you and energize you, this one here is more personal. He says, don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers, and then five things here, speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. By the way, the word example there is the word from which we get the word type. It's the word tupas. And so he says, Timothy, be a, a type, a template, a prototype, a pattern for what people should be. At First Family, we highly value copyability among our leaders. None of us are perfect, so hear that first, okay? But we want to be able to say to our church, as Paul said to the Corinthian church, you follow me as I follow Christ. Just look to your leaders and say, so that's how they do it. I guess that's how I should do it. And that's what we strive with all of our staff, all of our elders, and all of our deacons to be copyable. It comes from things like this. He says, until I come, give your attention. This is that word again, attention. It was also in the first paragraph. To public reading, exhortation, to teaching. These words all point to God's truth. The public reading of Scripture. There was probably just one copy of a letter from that would arrive, and so they'd read it out loud together. Often letters were circular and would go through a number of churches in the area. Exhortation would be um, encouraging folks and uh, commanding and teaching them to obey it. And, of course, then the idea of teaching, that idea of doctrine. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. So Timothy here has um, um, a conferred type of authority from the Lord to teach and to do these things, to command these things. He says, practice these things. This goes back to being an example. You see these words that involve activity and energy? Be committed to them. And then watch this interesting phrase, so that your progress may be evident to all. I find that intriguing because most of us would say, well, I don't want to, you know, like show off. I don't want anybody to see that, you know, I'm really growing. We kind of say that, and I think we probably should say that to some degree, but here Paul says to Timothy, listen, don't be bashful about the way God is working in your life and motivating and energizing you. Don't be timid about how God's Word is changing you and moving you and growing you. So he says, pay close attention. There's the third time it's used. Pay close attention to your life and to your what, church? Teaching mentioned five, six times just in this whole chapter. Persevere in these things. There's that phrase again. For in doing this, you will, and I love this word, save both yourself and your hearers. Now, you may be saying, Todd, how does Timothy save people? I thought it was God that saved people. Well, if you'll take the last word, so to speak, of this chapter and contrast it with one of the first words, which was depart, Here's what Paul is saying. Timothy, if you'll model the power of God's word, be committed to it, teach it, obey it, to the point that others see the effect that God's word has in your life, and they visibly observe, they demonstrably observe, wow, man, God's word is changing, Timothy. And watch this. You won't depart and neither will others. 
That's what the whole idea of the word save means. In other words, you're going to prevent the abandonment of those within the church towards demonic teaching, deceitful spirits, because you're making God's truth, His word primary. It's your focus. You're teaching it. You're living it. You're commanding it. God's truth matters to the church. It's the way in which we save people from abandonment of God's truth. So have you ever wondered why we spend so much time here in God's Word? Why we just open the Bible, we teach it, we visibly see it, we make it part of our small groups, we have every ministry centered on it. It's because that is the key to staying true. That's the thing that anchors us and cements us. It's God's Word. Now in this paragraph, just one more observation here. There's about eight things you'll see that he tells Timothy to do. I think what you can do is notice that really they kind of lean this way. The trajectory of these eight things is this, that the truth of God moves the man of God and the people of God so that they see the work of God. All we're saying is that the truth of God propels us in our maturity and modeling. So the truth of God moves the man of God and the people of God so that others see the work of God. How does that occur? Because God's truth propels us towards maturity, in our maturity. We become models of what God's truth wants to do in us, and that's a proclamation and demonstration of the gospel. You would say it like this, God's word is fuel. You see, it's a fence, it's a filter, and it's fuel for us. It's food for us that it nurses us and helps us train and labor and strive, but it's fuel for us in that it propels us in this growth that others then see. Our progress is evident to all. So this is how important, how central God's Word is to the church. I was thinking about this final word picture, this idea of saving both yourself and your hearers and how it is really hearkening back to the first use of the word depart. And, and Paul is just saying, Timothy, you've got to make God's Word the central focus of your ministry, of this church, of those people's lives. This is where it's at. It's the lifeline for us. I was thinking on that this week. I remember in junior high, I was at Fort Bluff Camp in Dayton, Tennessee. I was a junior hire, and we had, I was at a junior high retreat, and there was a lake at the camp, and for some reason, we were on the other side, and then there was a dock in the middle, and then most of the group was on this side. I don't know how we got on that side, but there were about four or five of us said, let's just swim to the other side. It wasn't that long, but it seemed a long way. So we just all jumped in. I think we just had our clothes on. It wasn't even no swim trunks or anything. Just, we jumped in, we're swimming, and I began to get fatigued. And I remember I started going under, and I thought I was going to drown. I was kind of near the dock. The other guys were ahead of me. And I'm like, I'm not going to make it. And I had some friends on the dock. One's name was Steve Lacey. And Steve and Johnny were there. Johnny Holmes was on the dock as well. But Steve was the only one who jumped in. And so I think Todd's struggling. He jumped in. He grabbed me, pulled me to the dock. Steve was a lifeline for me. I was thinking about that story as I read these words. If you, know, you save both yourself and those who hear you. And I'm glad I didn't hear the other voices. who were There were some who were laughing like, hey, what kind of joke are you playing? Are you trying to trick us? 
Some were noticing other people, but Steve noticed one junior high friend of his who was legitimately struggling, bobbing, right? <laughs> and I'm grateful for the voice of Steve and the lifeline of Steve in that moment. And I fixed my eyes on that, by the way. I could care less what other folks were saying or doing. I needed a hand to make sure I didn't drown. God's truth is a lot like that. You're going to hear a lot of voices, a lot of chatter. Keep your eyes and your hands on God's truth. It is your lifeline. So do you see how he arrived at the main take-home truth just from these three paragraphs, which each... Have its, each has its own observation. The first one's about God's truth as a fence. It protects and guards us. The second one is like a filter. It clarifies, prioritizes, and energizes us. And the third one's like fuel. It propels us towards maturity. So that's why we say God's truth, say it with me, church, frees, focuses, and fuels the church. That's what God's word does for us. That's what the truth of God is for and to the church. It's our fuel. It's our filter. It's our framework. It's our fence. It is all about God's truth. It matters to the church. And so this morning, while I want you to believe that and believe that you do believe that, I I believe you do, I don't want you to leave with just one more nugget of knowledge. Because more than likely, the vast majority of you in this room, the vast majority of you in Carlisle, those who are listening and watching and here, you're not struggling to believe this, the vast majority of you. You're struggling to obey this. You still have hobbies that are diminishing your spiritual growth. You're still watching way too many things that are destroying your mind, causing lust, endangering your spiritual purity. You're listening to way too many theories that have just that are filled with empty speculations. You watch way more news than you do the Bible. Some of you have habits that are about spending, and you're spending vast amounts on things that probably have very little eternal value, and you're making just a microscopic investment in the Lord's work. I don't know what your ratio should be, but I can guarantee you that some of that should flip. Just this week, Julie and I were thinking about what our giving is going to be for this year, and just adjusting things so we can be more sacrificial. I'm not saying that in any way other than to try to be for you a model that all of us have to ask ourselves the questions, am I giving sacrificially, generously, to what really matters eternally? You you put all of your habits, your activities, your dollars, your relationships into the filter of God's Word. Because when you begin to do that, it nourishes you, it strengthens you, it focuses you, it clarifies, it fuels you, and you begin to live your life in obedience to God's truth See, that's where the rubber meets the road. It's not in knowing this. It's in actually doing this. It's in diving into God's truth and saying, I'll adjust my life to your truth. I'll ingest what you say, and I'll adjust my life. 
So while I want you to have the take-home truth, I'd rather you remember the take-home action. Dive into God's truth and adjust your life to it. I want to be in that but with you. I want to adjust my life to God's truth. As we've watched two of our kids even think about the mission field long term, we've had to make some adjustments emotionally. What we thought would happen with all of our grandkids and knowing that maybe there's four, five, six, seven of them that may be far away for a set of years, that takes an adjustment. But you know what helps is having God's Word to be the filter and the framework for what really matters. And to be frank with you, Julie and I, we're not the first to walk through this, okay? There's been generations way ahead of us. It's just our turn. So we think about all the things that are required that God asks for us. This is what sets the table. So I know you believe that. I believe the best about you. The vast majority of you know that. I'm asking you this week to live it. And the minute you think, no, I'm going to do this, and you sense the Holy Spirit convicting you, no, no, you should instead do this. Don't analyze your way out of it. Hear the Holy Spirit trying to rein in your expenditures, your habits, your viewing, your, your, what you're saying, your words, your relationships, and say, you know what, I'm going to trust God's Word, and I'm going to live with that as my filter and my fuel and my framework and my fence. And what you'll find is that your progress will be evident to all. You'll stay true to the Word, and you'll save both yourself and your hearers from departing the faith. Yes, God's truth matters to the church. It is our fence, filter, and fuel. It's what frees us, focuses us, and propels us.